Welcome to the Collective Intelligence Podcast from IPG. We deliver marketing insights that help modern brands thrive. In this episode, you'll hear about the latest perspectives featured at intelligence.interpublic.com. Listen, then log on to find new opportunities for your brand to stand out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to CI Conversations, part of the Collective Intelligence Podcast from Interpublic. My name is Jennifer Sane, and I will be your host today. Today, we will be talking about Upfronts 2022, and I am so thrilled to be joined by Brian Hughes from Magna and Lisa Vu from Rogers and Cowan PMK. Lisa, could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do there at RNC PMK? Yeah, so I'm the Vice President of Brand Integrations and Content Partnerships there. We lead a global client team as we service our portfolio brand clients and connect them to the entertainment landscape. So that's everything across partnerships, sponsorships, and brand integration opportunities. Fantastic. And Brian, if you could give us a bit of an introduction, that would be wonderful. Sure. Brian Hughes here. I lead audience intelligence and strategy at Magna. We are really tasked with kind of monitoring consumer behavior around the types of media they interact with and how, uh, and sort of predicting where that's going to go. And it really is meant to inform our investment strategy at Magna uh, and on behalf of the other media brands agencies. We also cover, uh, you know, major data partner relationships across IPG and provide uh, guidance on, you know, measurement and, and where we think we should be going uh, in that regard, particularly right now on video. Great. Thank you so much. And just thank you again to both of you for being here. I read that this was an upfront like no other. One report said that this year's presentations tore down any vestiges of how television has been traditionally programmed, consumed, and transacted. And that is quite the statement. So I would love to dive right in to see if we can uncover if that's an understatement or an overstatement. So let's start with measurement. So measurement was predicted to be the hot topic this year, of course, with many looking to a more comprehensive alternative to Nielsen. But it appears that wasn't to be and the old stalwart remains. Would you say that's accurate? Just what can you tell us about measurement and, of course, grounding that in how you would advise your clients where a measurement stands right now and then also looking forward? Lisa, would you like to start us off? Yes, I would. Overall, consumers and brands, they're concerned about the possibility of recession, and you have billions on the line at stake here. And it's understandable that buyers and sellers, they do not want to hedge their bets right now. They want to go back to what's tried and true. And that's what we saw at this year's upfronts. The secondary measurements, the alternatives to Nielsen, I think they'll gather momentum this year, and they might make a big splash in 2023, but they're just not robust enough to help you know, unseat those fears. Yeah, I think we, what we saw happen was honestly quite a lot of hype in the form of headlines around the sort of coming shift in measurement that was not really true in, in practice. I think, you know, we always anticipated that this was going to be a learning year, that we would probably be sticking largely with with Nielsen guarantees, as and that's pretty much how it's shaped up. And, you know, at the same time, we're very excited about all the momentum around cross-screen measurement and the fact that there are, you know, other viable players coming into the space. We think competition is good for innovation in the measurement space, which is sorely needed, frankly, uh, as we move to um, a cross-screen world, or we've moved to a cross-screen world, but measurement is now catching up, which is a good thing. So, you know, for us, we we have kind of a three-year view of this, and and this is our, you know, year one in which we're going to be testing and learning as much as we can. And, you know, I agree with Lisa that I think next year we'll probably start to see some of the alternatives gain a bit more traction in in terms of actual transacting and, and currency type use cases. Um, Speaking of currency, I had also read that 
you know, alternative currencies were supposed to be another hot topic. And then I just found that interesting with the news that came out about LimeWire this week, this newly, you know, blast from the 2000s now, but operating in more of the NFT world. Would you say that that was overstated, that alternative currencies, you know, it was predicted to be as big of a topic as measurement, was it? Or similarly, was it just kind of more buzz and, and less substance? Yeah, I think what happens is often the terms measurement and currency get conflated incorrectly. So it's possible to measure something using a myriad of different types of data, right? But not all of those are what we transact with. So, you know, in order to be a currency, you have to actually be performing transactions on it. And in terms of, you know, the video marketplace, we're not, you know, quite at that point yet where we're using different things to transact. Lisa, do you have anything to add to that? Or does that, that all sound about right? No, it does. And I definitely agree with Brian, especially since currencies are still in that beta testing period. They don't have that robust enough platform yet to go out. Absolutely. So we're talking about measurement and currencies, but I would love to talk about the audience that we are talking about measuring and reaching. And Lisa, you mentioned already inflation. And of course, with inflation and the looming possibility of recession here in the U.S. times the rising cost of, say, you know, SVOD, which of course to our audience is subscription video on demand. Do you think that the future are fast channels, that is free ad-supported television? Would you say that's accurate? Is that the track that consumers are on? I think right now fast channels are in their evolution phase. They There's a lot of major platforms available elsewhere. And the fact that the number of free streaming services are increasing, it's just another way to continue to build subscribers, keep their attention, keep them within your own ecosystem and wheelhouse, and then however, however best to measure them from there too. I think also Netflix should embrace fast channels because they have older content and that's a way they continue to maximize their value to their subscribers too. And also it's Another way to do content modernization for um, brands as well, too. So it's a win-win both on the consumer side and the brand side. Yeah, I would just add that we're actually seeing some evidence that it is getting traction right now. I mean, we've seen, if you look at the subscribers, monthly active users for a lot of the streaming services that are out there, it's really the, the ones that have a cheaper ad-supported tier or a, a fast channel that's completely free that are gaining the most in terms of subscribers right now. Whereas the, you know, the, uh, the stalwarts like Netflix that are pure SVOD, are, uh, they've actually lost some subscribers at this point. And I think that's you know, obviously playing into their decision to, um, you know, to opt into some ad-supported options. And by the way, that's something that we predicted at Magna about five years ago. You know, back then they were still holding fast that they would never have an ad option. And, and we were saying that they eventually have to just because of the cost of, uh, you know, of content and production is so high that, the, you know, they would need to ha have other revenue streams coming in to be able to maintain that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's definitely an appetite on the part of consumers to pay less, still get all access to the content that they want. Uh, and, you know, having ads is a way to, is a way to do that. Now, what I'm hearing from you, from you both, is things like evolution and learning and beta. So it seems that we haven't really, it's obvious we haven't really reached critical mass on any of these big changes that have been predicted to come. So right now, kind of while we're in this, you know, evolutionary phase, how are you advising your, your clients in your daily work to kind of ride, ride the wave where it is now, but also be ahead of the current? 
you know, we um, the way that we kind of look at things and find out a useful paradigm is to look at it in terms of time spent. And so we know, you know, people are spending more time with streaming, with connected TV in particular. And, you know, we know we're predicting sort of in the next five years, that's only going to increase. So, you know, what we're really advising is, you know, take sort of start to think about how you shift dollars there. Obviously, measurement continues to be an issue. If we don't have good measurement, it's hard to convince our clients to move their money somewhere. But, you know, that's, we're working on that part aspect of it. But yeah, I mean, we're trying to just kind of stay ahead of the curve here and, and catch up to consumer behavior. And uh, that's definitely the, the track, the sort of talk track we've been on for the past couple of years now. And then over at Rogers and Cowan PMK, we just not launched a new technology platform as our new end-to-end -end technology platform. We What we want to build is how do we address what the future of partnerships and branding integrations look like? And we built this, it's called Upstream Pop. And what it does is it connects brands, content creators, and media platforms all together. So you see the whole entire landscape of entertainment opportunities. We also did this in conjunction with media brands. So we have their HVAs, we have those audience data sets, their behaviors, the touch points, and then we connect them to the opportunities on the entertainment side too. So not only do you have opportunities, you have the measurements, you have the audience data backing that as well. You know, looking at, you know, either your clients from, you know, both of your worlds or just even out there in the world in general, can you think of any brands that are kind of getting it right or right-ish right now? Like who's really maximizing the landscape the way it is right now? It's a tough one. I mean, I will say that one of the features of that we have at Magna uh, as part of our intelligence program is the media trials program. And what's cool about that is that we it enables us to bring our clients to the table to test out new ad experiences. We've done quite a few options on CTV recently, studying different types of ads. You know, it's, it's tough to say because I think it's it's really a lot of experimentation right now. What we've tried to do uh, via our media trials program is enable clients to have the opportunity to test different types of ads, particularly ones that are interactive, which is, you know, a great feature of the connected TV space. It allows for a lot more possibilities in terms of what an ad experience could look like. So, you know, we've done some tests on overlay ads and ad toppers and, and shown that they had, can have pretty good results uh, relative to sort of a traditional 30 second TV commercial. And Lisa, you had mentioned earlier about the entire brand landscape. So kind of looking at two other themes that were quite prevalent at this year's upfronts in terms of virtual product placement and shoppable video. Can you speak to either one of those in terms of what you learned at the upfronts or what you guys are doing and kind of in that theme? Yeah, we were actually pitched virtual product placement years before um, Amazon made the big splash. And so it's great to see how far the technology has come and how seamless it's definitely become. It's just a way to do careful, curated, digitally implemented ads. And it's a new way for streaming platforms to build that revenue and that currency. How do you take either new content that's upcoming or content that's already been on the streaming service for many, many years and just revamp that and change that to the modern day? Also, I think Amazon mentioned a really great stat because there always has to be data and proof points. And they said their M&M integrations they did had a 7% increase in brand favorability and 15% increase in purchase intent. So just giving advertisers the ability to insert their brands directly into their product and not having to do it months in advance. One thing I would note is that a lot of this is passive. You're not going to see a car get digitally inserted with a leading talent. That's something that's very hard to do in the current technology that's available. You're going to see it mainly in the digital ads, you know, blank um, kitchen appliances. But all those hands-on hero integration moments are one that's going to be very difficult to replicate. 
with virtual product placement, that's why I feel like our agency has the ones that have those opportunities and connections that can get you in with those hands-on moments because you need to work with them months in advance versus post-production. Brian, would you add anything to, you know, kind of the topic of virtual product placement or shoppable video in terms of what you've been measuring in your work or what you heard at the upfronts this year? Shoppable video is definitely something that's been a hot topic the last two upfronts, I would say. And so we've seen, you know, uh, a lot of the big players like NBCU and Instagram that are, you know, and TikTok, where it's sort of a very natural fit for them to have these shoppable options in their ecosystem, kind of really, you know, continue to increase the level of sophistication in terms of the executions and enable the, the consumer to, you know, as easily as possible, uh, you know, buy directly from the platform. Uh, Roku was another one that talked a lot about it at their new front this year. You know, their whole thing was they want to have the OK button on the Roku remote that everyone's so used to using be the sort of conduit to making purchases on their platform, for example. So I definitely think, you know, sort of shortening the funnel from seeing it to buying it is, is a big priority for a lot of the publishers out there. Great. Thank you. And actually now I kind of want to take the conversation in a different direction. Of course, diversity, equity, and inclusion has been top of mind, both in kind of the cultural macro and then also the micro in terms of our industry. Brian, Magna hosted the second annual Equity Upfront this year, Invest for Impact, and that was focusing on the impact of diverse audiences on media consumption and brand loyalty. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we did start that in uh, 2021, as you mentioned, and um, this year we were able to do it a hybrid event, sort of combination in person and virtual, which was great to have actually have people together in the room. Uh, we had really great you know turnout, about 1,500 you know people across the couple of days, whether in virtual or in person, and 30 part different partners uh, were in attendance to present. And you know the goal of it is really to first of all, you know, emphasize the fact of how important these audiences are, how influential they are uh, in, in creating U.S. culture and making sure that the investment is that we're making is, is following that phenomenon. And uh, at the same time, giving, you know, minority owned media partners that may not get the exposure of some of the big, you know, conglomerates, the opportunity to, uh, to talk to our clients directly and, and share what they have to offer. And, you know, we, we know that we've seen from, you know, research from Nielsen and others that, you know, a lot of audiences, uh, Black audiences in particular, will go out of their way to support a Black-owned media business. And, you know, we should really be seizing on that to connect with them in an authentic way. It's, it's just good business for our clients and for us, to be frank. So, we you know, we created this event to, to really help facilitate that. And, uh, you know, we hope to continue to evolve it as we go forward. Yeah, absolutely. Lisa, in terms of equity and inclusion, how has those topics been coming up again um, in your daily work as you speak with your clients and also what you observed at the event this year? Yeah, I would say it's no longer a checkbox. It's no longer, oh, did we meet this XYZ? It's more like, how do we make this a part of our strategy from the get-go? And it's the fact that there's opportunities now that has not only the quantity of content, the quality of content, but also the diversity of content has been really important to our clients. And it's something we've always woven in. And it's not just what's on the forefront of the camera. It's not the diverse audience we're trying to reach, but who we're working on behind the scenes, the people creating the content themselves. Do they come from a diverse background? Are they reaching the community that we're trying to get? One opportunity we're looking at for our clients is Huluween, from Hulu that's upcoming, they have their drag scavaganza. I'm sure I butchered that, but they're what they're doing is they're trying to take pride out of June and they're trying to make these cultural moments all year long. And how do we insert brands into those conversations? How do we insert brands into ways to reach the communities that's outside of just one month out of a year? 
And in terms of programming, was, was there anything really notable in terms of programming, either in terms of the audience that it was looking to reach, anything innovative, anything just surprising? Or again, was it kind of things were kind of riding the same while we're in this in between the now and the future? One thing that we, we noticed that was interesting is, you know, it seems to be a pretty clear line now where a lot of the big, uh, you know, media companies like uh, Paramount and Disney seem to be sort of creating this like invisible line where they're really reserving the sort of broad appeal, safe sort of content for, you know, the broadcasting cable channels. And then, you know, the more sort of gritty or big swing stuff is, is kind of reserved for their direct-to-consumer streaming platforms. So that really seemed to... That seemed to be a factor at this year's upfront. And then, of course, sports, which is one of the few you know, um, genres that are really held up well on broadcast and cable TV in terms of audience or actually you know, a lot of the sports events that we've seen so far in 22 are up compared to the, uh, the year prior, you know, really kind of doubling down on their, you know, their sports investment, their sports content, because they know that that's very important to the continued vitality of those channels. Lisa, do you have anything to add to that, both in terms of sports or just in general, anything that was notable about programming? I do agree with the sports angle. And also it pulls back to the conversation we had regarding the fast services, because all the big fours, Amazon with Freebie, Fox with Tubi, NBCU with Peacock, Paramount Global with Pluto TV, they all have sports there and they all have the NFL. So you're gonna see a lot of fast channel promotions on their NFL content because they wanna push more of those eyeballs and keep people in within their ecosystem. And also with sports, you have Thursday night football moving to Amazon. So how's that gonna change the playing field? You have Sunday night football in conversations going to a streaming service. So how does that disrupt the ecosystem? But then also keep it the same because you know, we have these big powerhouses, they keep everything in-house with Disney and their ecosystem, NBCU with their ecosystem too. And what does that mean for brands? I would say for brands, you're going to have more opportunity because Amazon, you have freebie, there's the advertising support, but this is going to be on Amazon Prime. And so Amazon also pushes opportunities where if you have a storefront on Amazon, you can integrate into their Thursday night football and then promote and drive viewers directly to your storefront. So again, you have that one-to-one you know, data showing one view on Thursday night football, then leads you to a buy on your storefront. Yeah, I, I can add to that. Actually, I think what it's done is it's made, you know, the the sports marketplace in the upfront all that much more of a hot, you know, a hot thing. And, you know, what we found, we actually have dedicated resources within our investment team that are only focused on sports because it's, you know, we frankly spend quite a bit and because it's such an important uh, thing for a lot of our clients that we're, you know, we're moving earlier and earlier to be able to get those deals done. Uh, you know, we're typically one of, one of, if not the biggest, you know, uh, sort of holding company in terms of the Super Bowl. And we've had to really move quickly to get that done this year. Um, so, you know, it just makes everything, I think, much more in demand uh, with rights, you know, shifting to some of the big digital companies. And, uh, you know, we we had predicted a few years back that, you know, the escalating rights fees for some of these sports franchises would have to come down at some point. But now that we have companies like Amazon and Apple, you know, in the in the fray, I, I, I don't think that's going to happen now. I think they're just going to keep going up kind of nearing the end of our time together, but um, so I'd kind of like to pull away from, uh, you know, these more, you know, focused topics and kind of look big picture. Everything that we discussed, what surprised you that we haven't talked about about this year? Or maybe maybe it didn't, again, keeping with this idea that it was kind of a transition year. Brian, was there anything that you were particularly surprised, you know, especially you, you know, being so immersed in this and the data? 
Yeah, you know, it's funny because you you mentioned that quote um, at the beginning that it was like this upfront was unlike any other before it, and I I would actually disagree with that pretty wholeheartedly. I mean, I think in many ways the upfront was business as usual uh, to a shocking degree, frankly. So. I think that was that was the thing that surprised me the most, especially with all of the you know the sort of hype leading into it around measurement and other things that you know it ended up being, in a lot of ways, the same old kind of situation for the upfront. So that, I would say that was that was surprising to me. And for you, Lisa? For me, I would say it's the fact that broadcast networks just continue to take more and more of a backseat at these upfronts. I think everyone talked about how in 2009 they showed the entire pilot for the Modern Family episode, and now there wasn't even a mention about any of the pilots that were greenlit or even sometimes a fall broadcast schedule. And so I think it's all about streaming, all about SVOD and AVOD for these big media brands going into upfronts. With that in mind, and then with also, you know, with Brian, as you were saying, kind of business as usual and not this, you know, big explosive year, if you were both to look in your crystal ball, what do you predict for next year? What do you think might be a big topic or theme? Or maybe if not, you know, maybe if you don't want to predict, what do you think should be? Well, I think, you know, coming back to kind of where we started, I think, you know, the the measurements conversation will advance next year and we'll, we may actually see some movement towards having a multi-currency uh, marketplace. I mean, I think there's still quite a bit we have to figure out around how does that get funded and how do we get all the data, you know, flowing through our systems so that we can we can transact uh, as seamlessly as possible. But I think we'll be closer to knowing who the, the real contenders are and, and uh, you know, understanding kind of where the industry is going to be going in, ter- in terms of cross-screen measurement. And for me, I would advise clients on looking towards flexibility and cross-portfolio investments. You know, you have broadcast, sports, cable, streaming, digital, and so they need to invest across the portfolio. You can't rely on just broadcast anymore. And then having the flexibility within their discussions and agreements, because with the environment, with the climate, things can change at a drop of a hat and understanding how that is going to affect their investment and buy and having that flexibility is also going to be important for clients. I'm sure everyone is on pins and needles to see what Netflix does in 2023, where they sit at the new fronts, where they sit at the upfronts. And another one is where does football go with the increase of sports into streaming? You know, who's going to hold the iron grip on the football and, and NFL and Super Bowl? Yeah. So is there is there anything else that we didn't talk about that we would just be remiss in not including about this year? I mean, I would just add, you know, we um, in addition to sort of our own efforts around diversity, equity and inclusion, you know, the, a lot of the big publishers have also made commitments to you know, you know improve their representation, both in front of and, and behind the camera. And, uh, you know, we actually have a means of evaluating that now uh, with Nielsen has a data set called Grace Note Inclusion Analytics, and we can actually see how they're doing uh, in terms of representation across different communities. And we have definitely seen some movement uh, in some areas, but, uh, you know, we've no- noticed that there's still some areas for improvement as well. So hopefully, you know, that work, that work will continue and we'll continue to, you know, see a more sort of uh, representative video landscape uh, in the future. Are there any examples that you can think of off the bat that are, are ahead? I don't, not because I don't have the data in front of me, but, you know, I know that they, Disney, for example, and, and pretty much every other major publisher has programs in place to make sure that they are, you know, that these, you know, minority voices are being heard and they have different programming tracks and production tracks to make sure that they're increasing their investment in that area. So, which is great, you know, because it obviously gives our clients more opportunities to, to be able to connect with those audiences as well. 
Absolutely. Lisa, is there anything that you've identified or any any particular companies or brands that are ahead of the curve? You, know, you want to be able to serve these communities and provide them with quality content because we know advertisers and our brands are hungry for it and also the transparency that the networks are allowing us into that to understand who's watching the content, how are the ads being served to each of these different communities is definitely something I've seen. Great. And I know Brian had brought that up in terms of, you know, in response to my question about what would we be remiss in not covering. Lisa, is there anything that we haven't covered that you think would be really important for our clients to know uh, before we wrap up our time together? I think right now we're right now we're in a moment of massive disruption when it comes to the earth, the currencies, the technology, the measurement and the tracking. And so whether we're at the beginning of the wave or the peak of the wave has yet to be known. And so for clients having that transparency and the flexibility into the process will be important. Great. Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much to you both for sharing your expertise and your insights and, and giving us this window into your work and also what went down at Upfronts 2022. And thank you so much to our audience for listening. And of course, the Collective Intelligence podcast is available on all the major streaming players, as well as intelligence.interpublic.com, along with a trove of other thought leadership and insights and expertise from around the IPG network. Thank you for listening to the Collective Intelligence Podcast. For more marketing insights and ideas, please subscribe to this podcast or visit intelligence.interpublic.com.